Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. Um, We thank you for uh, Luke, who, um, through your Holy Spirit, sought fit to um, record the acts of the apostles. Um, And this morning, as we hear from uh, from him and uh, part of Paul's journey from Jerusalem to Rome, God, let it enlighten our minds, change our hearts, um, and let us walk in newness of life. Uh, We pray in your name. Amen. Um, If you have uh, your Bibles, you can follow along in Acts 22, starting in verse 22. Um, It's also in your bulletins. It's a longer passage. Um, We will work through it together. I'm going to read it, and then I'm going to walk through uh, what was going on um, here uh, so that we are all up to speed. Uh, Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. For he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the uh, tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had been stretched out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you, doing? What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the uh, tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. And the tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. And Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. And he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet, contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? Those who, who, stood, by, uh, those who stood by said, Would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the the council, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. When he had said this, there a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees said there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledged them all. Then a greater clamor arose, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees, Pharisee party stood up and contended sharply, We find nothing wrong in this man. What if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the discussion became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. 
When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this, this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and the elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine this case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by, the, by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying, are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting your, for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one what you have, that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea as the third hour of the, at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And then he wrote a letter to this effect. Uh, Claudius Lysias to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them and the soldiers and res- with the soldiers and rescued him. Having learned that he was a Roman citizen and desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their, for, to their council. I found, I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. When he learned that he was from Sicilia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's uh, praetorium. This is the word of the Lord. That was a long passage. Probably one of the longer passages that we've read here um, at CCPC. I think it's best to give a walkthrough of what's happening and what I want us to focus on here. The idea is that God's purposes and plans are not thwarted by the works of his enemies. In fact, God often uses his enemies to further his plans. Here he uses the citizenship of Paul to spread the gospel for his glory and the good of mankind. He was using his citizenship here on earth to bring people, both Jew and Gentile, into the citizenship of heaven. While Paul has come home to Jerusalem, he had been evangelizing and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to Jew and Gentile. 
The Jews did not like that he was sharing about Jesus, and they did not like that he was sharing the good news to the Gentiles, to the Romans, to the Greeks, to the Corinthians, to the Ephesians. So they arrest him, but he has one request. He says, let me speak to the crowd. And he was allowed to do this, and using what opportunity he had, he gave his testimony. This was all coming before the scripture we read this morning, that he was a Jew of the Jews. He used his power to hunt down Christians for arrest and for death. And then he went on a walk, and Jesus saved him, appeared to him and saved him right on this road. And after this, he was in Jerusalem, and Jesus told him to go leave that place and bring salvation to the Gentiles, because the Jews won't listen. Well, this is what got the Jews riled up, and they shouted to kill him. They threw off their cloaks and threw dust in the air. And as one uh, commentator said, in England, we take off our jackets and throw mud. And the Romans stepped up and they stepped in and they arrested Paul because they were afraid of what the Jews might do to him. They had enough and they decided it was time to get the truth out of Paul. Why was this one man causing such a problem that these Jews were ready to kill him and causing unrest in Jerusalem? The Romans probably didn't know why what Paul said was so rage-inducing to the Jews. But what better way to get the truth out of someone than to tie them down and ready the whips for torture? And Paul remained calm because he had the proverbial ace up his sleeve. As he was being tied down, he asked, Is this normal? Is this legal? Confusing the Romans, you know... For you to whip and torture an uncondemned Roman citizen, right? He just drops Roman citizen as he's being about to be whipped. And then there was a kind of like a what from the Romans as they were getting ready to whip him. The centurion, afraid, ran to get his captain, this tribune, and the captain asked if this was true. Paul said, yes, it's certainly true. I am a Roman citizen. Well, that impressed the captain, but he was also confused because he has this ragged, dirty man being tied down, claiming to be this upright Roman citizen. And so he kind of, in a sarcastic tone, said, well, I bought mine. Kind of asking, begging the question, how did you, this poor, torn-closed man, all dirty, afford to buy your citizenship? How much did it cost you? Right, implying that there's no way that you could have afforded to buy your citizenship. Or implying, oh, they really must be giving citizenship away for cheap these days. And Paul said, it didn't cost me anything. And he throws down another card, and he says, I have been a free Roman from birth. Now this, hearing the captain, knowing that this man was a Roman from birth, knowing that his father was a Roman citizen, not knowing the story behind it, but knowing that there is a difference between in Rome being a citizen from birth and paying for yours. The scared captain, you rushed around, fumbling, untying Paul from these lashes, 
with his sincerest apologies. They still wanted to get to the bottom of what was going on, so they brought him back in front of the Jewish council. The Romans there trying to keep the peace. Paul speaks truth from the beginning, and he does not hold back. This makes the Jewish leaders so upset that um, the high priest actually calls for Paul to be struck in the mouth. And then Paul, just like Jesus did when he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs filled with dead man's bones, Paul calls them dead hypocrites with whitewashed walls because they stand in judgment over him while they break the law in doing so. He's made aware that this is the high priest, and Paul actually apologizes because he realized this chief priest is the leader. And even Paul, in his unjust punishment, unjust trial, obeys the law of God, honoring the leadership before him. And Paul, knowing that there were Pharisees and there were Sadducees, these two groups who often fought one another in theology and politics, who are both Jews, who are both in leadership roles here. Paul, as a good and wise Jew, exploits their differences in this trial. So he throws out the fact that he's brothers. I am a Pharisee among Pharisees. This is my heritage. I'm a Jew of Jews. And he says, It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. Two things going on here. One, Paul is using this opportunity to speak about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have in him. Because these Jews already know that he follows Jesus. And it's kind of alluding to it. Two, he knows that the Pharisees believe in the resurrection of the dead and the Sadducees do not. And it's a contentious issue between them. Because what happens next? Well, Paul knows that this would start an infighting among among the council because as good leadership, they can't wait to start arguing theology with one another and letting it ruin everything else before them. Right? So they argue these um, points within their their differences and there's infighting and they, they lose, they tunnel vision. All they get is Resurrection is going to happen. No, it's not. Back and forth. He knew this would start infighting among the council. He also knew that the Pharisees would call for his innocence. Just because he agreed that beliefs about angels and spirits and the resurrection, because he was a Pharisee. Paul was very shrewd. The Romans took Paul away for his own safety because they were, it said they were getting ready. They thought they might rip him limb from limb. This is exactly when Jesus shows up again to Paul. And he tells Paul, great work here in Jerusalem, but it's now time to go and be a witness to the Gentiles in Rome. Let's go back to the Gentiles. And the next day, these Jewish leaders finally, you know, putting their differences aside, maybe agreeing to disagree, they, they came to agreement. We can all agree here now, right, that we want Paul dead. That's their common union. They want Paul dead. So let's kill him. Okay, what what if we don't eat or drink till it's done? Great idea. Let's shake on it and make an oath. Done. Now let's send for him to be brought back, and on the way back we can set up an ambush and kill him. I mean, think about what this means. They know he's going to be brought back by the Romans. 
And they're so willing to ambush and kill a Roman citizen in front of the Romans, pretty much meaning their own death. They're willing to kill themselves in order to kill Paul because that's how much they hated him. And Paul's nephew, he overheard this. Right, A young man, we don't know how young, but a child, not yet a man, that overheard this and brought it to the Roman captain. And he told him that the Jews were planning an ambush so they could murder Paul. And the captains warned Paul's nephew not to tell anyone. He says he, he took him by his hand and took him aside, this Roman captain. And, like, and, a, and it was somewhat like a tender thing. Like, it was brave of you to come here and tell me this. Don't tell anyone. We're protecting this young man. The Roman captain decided this was enough. It was enough to get time. It was time to get Paul out of there. So he gathered 500 soldiers and some horses. Some horses for Paul, for Paul and his, all his stuff, and wanted to send Paul safely to Governor Felix. And the captain wrote a letter explaining exactly what had happened. And Paul was sent to Caesarea and was delivered with the letter to the governor. And Paul was locked up in King Herod's quarters until his accusers showed up. Right, not a bad place to be locked up in the king's quarters. That's a lot. Next week, um, we're going to take a look at Paul's defense. But today, I want us to think about a few things from this, um, from this narrative. The first one is that Paul uses his Jewish citizenship and his Roman citizenship, citizenship in order to bring glory to God and to spiritually immigrate people into the kingdom of God. Paul's missionary method was to use his Jewish heritage to reach the Jews. When he was with the Jews, he would speak in Hebrew, he would quote the law, he would mention his former teachers, his pharisaical heritage. He would say, I'm a Jew of Jews. I've done it all. I've had great teachers. I've had a great heritage. Here's my parents' lineage. This is where I come from. He would would do this in order to have authority, to have a common ground with the Jews. For the Gentiles, he would often, he would quote, maybe he would pull out his Roman citizenship. He would speak in Greek. He would quote their great poets, their great philosophers. Why? In order to have a common ground so he might bring them to Jesus Christ. To bring them to the master of the kingdom of heaven. So that they too might be citizenships. That might be citizens of this heavenly kingdom. It was his drive. It was his purpose. It was his missionary method. Right? If you are, as we all are, if those are in Christ Jesus, we are missionaries. Now, some are sent to foreign lands. Some are sent to West Hartford. Some are sent to Halliday Ave West, Suffield, Connecticut. We're surrounded by people who do not know Christ, who are our literal neighbors geographically in proximity to us, that God has put us in a specific place, in a specific time, that we might live as missionaries to the people that we work with, that we play with, that we live next to. And if you are a missionary in a high school or middle school, Right, that in God's providence, He's 
you are a missionary being paid by the town of West Hartford or the town of Windsor Locks or the town of Granby, wherever it might be, or the Hartford or, or Aetna or Travelers, that they don't even know that they're paying you to be a missionary. Now, some missionaries raise funds from the church and from others to go to Chile or to go to France or to go to Suffields. And here, if you are a missionary reaching teenagers, right, you need to know their language, how they speak. Do you know what Fortnite is? Just raise, your, do you, raise your hand if you know what Fortnite is. Okay. Do you, are you around students, teachers, kids? In general, probably, right? Okay. For those that don't know, Fortnite is a video game. It's such a video game that many of my students watch YouTube videos of other people playing the video game. If that's not blowing your mind right now, it, it should. Okay, They're watching other people, taped videos of other people who played video games at some other point in time. Right? You need to know what it is to have that common language. Now, it might not be Fortnite. It might be something else. But it's part of their culture. It's part of their understanding of the world. But if you're going to Chile, you speak Spanish, you know the culture, the mores, the customs. If you need to be in two cultures to be able to move back and forth like Paul, between Jew and between Gentile, between Jew and Hebrew and Rome and Greek. Many of these people, like uh, if you're reaching Brazilians in Waterbury, right, being able to move back and forth between speaking Portuguese and English, between knowing the food and the culture of the, Port- of the Brazilian people there, and knowing maybe the court system of America, being able to speak the language, translating back and forth for these people that have come to our country and to our cities. You probably also should follow the World Cup. It's a good missionary method because Brazil's still in it. This is a... uh, Right, as a pastor, you're not supposed to like always like when you preach, you don't always say like look at how what I did and how great I am, but you're also not supposed to like put all your failures out there all the time. But here is a good failure. Okay, so when we lived in Hartford, uh, we moved to 202 Laurel Street. Uh, we moved between um, like an extended Puerto Rican family uh, that on one side and and um, Muslim family from Togo who bought a Habitat for Humanity home next to us before and they lived there before we moved in, um, and they were celebrating uh, Eid. Um, and they were having this great feast, uh, and I went over and I'm like, "Oh, that's delicious!" And uh, that looks delicious. And so they come and they're like, "Lamb!" And I, I've never had lamb before, and I was really excited to try lamb. And so I ate it. And I'm like, when I asked him a question before I ate it, I was like, "So what does this taste like? Ham? Like pork?" Wah wah wah! I was like, wasn't even thinking when I said it. I was like, and then I said it, and I was like. You don't know what that tastes like. Um, you're not allowed to eat that. Missionary fail. Probably should remember those things when you're trying to reach other people from other cultures. Um, at least I didn't offer them bacon. right? That, I think that would have been like a step, like a fail above the fail that I made. Um, now this one specifically, the, part, the number two is specifically for kids, but it also applies for adults um, as well. So if you're a kid, listen, because there's a great... A piece of this narrative, this story, I think that applies to you. Um, and it's a promise. 
have courage because God is with you. Right? Paul's young nephew had the courage to do the right thing, right? even when he was scared. Right? He, um, Paul's nephew knew that these Jewish leaders, this Jewish council, were highly important people. And yet he knew that they were doing something extremely wrong. And going overhearing what they did and having the courage to go to the authorities to protect his uncle. To go to these Roman soldiers with their weapons and their armor and their authority and in somewhat their outsideness of the Jewish culture, right? That they ruled over the Jews and the Jews did not like that. To go there, to have courage. To do the right thing in a difficult time. Knowing that is what we are called to do because God has called us to do the right thing. Not when it's just easy, but when it's hard. I'm reminded of um, a, uh, one of the songs that, you, that we have sung that the kids sang for us a while back. right? Isaiah 41.10 So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Do you think Paul was meditating on that from Isaiah as well? Maybe even his nephew when he was scared. Right? So kids and adults, right? we all need to hear this, that we do not have to sit quiet when bad things are happening. This is a promise that God is with us. He will uphold us. Wait, when your friends are speaking about someone else, not in a positive way, you can have courage to not be silent. Right, when a kid is sitting alone, you can have courage to sit with them. When you want to share Jesus with a friend or with a neighbor, have courage. Because God has called us to do these things. To do what is right and good for his glory. Right? The good news here is that God is great. That God is great. And we do not have to be in control. Think about that. Right? We're, we want to have control all the time. We, we are, we, it doesn't matter what, what culture you're in. When things are out of your control, it is a big problem. Our lives are turned upside down. And the good news is that God is great and you don't have to be. Second part of that, God is gracious. God is gracious. So we don't have to count the times that we have failed or that we have succeeded in order to measure up. The times that we have failed to do the right thing when we should have done it, the times that we have failed to uphold the righteous standard of God, the times that we even have succeeded in counting that on the balance sheet. Well, I failed yesterday in standing up to that bully, but I succeeded today in telling my friend about Jesus. Oh, man, thankfully I, I, I canceled those things out. And let me just do one more good thing so I can be in the black again. We do not have to do that because God is a gracious God. We do not have to count our failures or count our successes. Because in Jesus Christ, it is none of those things are counted for us or against us. Because Christ has taken all that is evil that is ours, which is everything, and given us 
all that is His that is righteous and good. Imputed righteousness. All of His goodness. And He has taken all of our sin. Number three, as, we, as I mentioned in the early on, after we read the Scripture, God's purposes cannot fail. They cannot fail. Let me ask you this. Do you think those leaders are still waiting in ambush for Paul right now? Behind, like behind some bush in, in Jerusalem? Did they, did they stay and wait? You know, day breaks coming along and their, their stomachs are rumbling, they're thirsty. Do you think they stayed and waited and they, did they die of thirst? They did die of hunger because they shook hands. They said, this is a good, good plan. Let's make the oath. Let's kill him. No, because as good Pharisees and good Sadducees, they figured out a way to get out of their binding oath and a way around God's law that he figured out. Right? And good legalists here. They figured a way out of the oath. I thought this was an amazing way to look at what happened. It's from a devotional. Um, it says, what had... <laughs> What had those hungry men lying in ambush overlooked? That they failed to reckon with what happened to Paul just before they made their plot. They didn't know this happened, but they didn't know that God was with Paul. They ignored it. They fought over other things instead. They did not listen to him. Their ears were not attentive to the gospel that Paul was proclaiming. They failed to reckon with the fact that the Lord appeared to Paul in prison and said, he said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify about me in Jerusalem. Christ said that Paul was going to Rome and that his plans would not fail. That was that. So no ambush can stand against the promises of Christ until he got to Rome. I love this. Paul was immortal. There was a final testimony to be given, and Christ would see to it that Paul would give it. And the end of the the devotional says this. It says, you too have a final testimony to give. It says, and you are immortal until you give it. That God's plans will not be thwarted by his enemies. Guess what? God's plans won't even be thwarted by our good intentions. Those that are a part of his family, that are citizens of the citizens of the kingdom. That when we bumble through presenting the gospel, when we bumble through our testimony, God's plans do not fail. His word does not go out void. It is powerful. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. It will cut to the quick, and then the gospel will get in there. And our heart of stone will be turned to a heart of flesh and we will be made alive. That God still has resurrecting to do. And you still have a testimony to give and you are immortal until you give it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these promises. We thank you for the good news of the gospel that makes our primary citizenship not of Togo or the United States, Brazil, Mexico, China, Korea, but it makes it 
of the kingdom of God. That we are both citizens of a new kingdom, that we are family, that share the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for these promises. We pray that we would be strong and courageous. Resting on your promises that we walk under your protection until the day you call us home. That you are great, good, glorious, and gracious. And we serve a God like you. Thank you, we pray in your name. Amen.